Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Do more listening than talking. So when a middle schooler is going through their day and talking about the things that you're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear about lunch again. Listen, 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 and really resist offering advice. All that talking that they're doing, if you're lucky enough to have somebody that talks to you, because that's a good thing, all that talking that they're doing, they're working through things, they're figuring things out, they're processing things, they're using their brain in a different way. So be prepared to go into those big topics to venture in, and it's okay. Welcome to Season 6 of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings, too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious, and I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. Lynn, I love the topic that you propose today because middle school gets a really bad rap, but you have some really positive things to say about middle school. It's true. If you say, so what do you do? And they go, oh, I'm a middle school teacher. People go like, oh my God, how do you do it? But I think there are some really delightful things about middle schoolers. I actually loved being a middle school mom. Just to clarify, I didn't become a mom when I was in middle school. I'm talking about... <laughs> having children that were in middle school. But I love that age, and I think it has a lot to offer. So I think we need to shift the frame a little bit and have some better understanding, particularly if as you're sending your kid off into sixth grade or, I don't know, middle school can be a lot of different grades these days. Right. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Yeah. And I think that's what it is most of the time, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah. Did you like middle school yourself? Oh, my God, no. It was junior high. I went to Webb Junior High. I was bullied. And you say like, oh, bullied. No, seriously, Denine told me that I was not allowed to use the bathroom. And if she caught me in the bathroom, she was going to beat me up. I was terrified in seventh grade. My middle school, I think, was seventh, eighth, ninth. It was called junior high then. And then I ended up changing schools and going to a different school in eighth grade, which was like heaven to me. But oh my God, my one year of junior high, seventh grade was one of the scariest years ever. Oh, I had a mixed bag. I had a ton of fun in middle school. And for people who are exactly my age, Duran Duran dominated my middle school years. Little Bit of Wham. And if you haven't seen that documentary on Netflix, you must because it's just not what you think it was going to be. It was incredible. I don't even remember the music that I would associate with middle school. I definitely remember high school. All I remember is just being scared. Well, I had to ride in the front of the bus because Denine sat in the back of the bus. Yeah, she was scary. She had a group of kids. I don't know why she picked on me. But anyway, look, I'm fine. Yay! It all worked out. <laughs> I wonder if anybody who knows her is listening. Well, I think she was in a coma. 
Like I think something bad happened to her and she was in a coma. Maybe that's just a, a story I made up in my head, but yeah, I don't think things went well for her, honestly. When I think of middle school now as a parent, I think that now that I have the language for it that I didn't when I was a student was, and you probably have way better language as a professional. It's very much a time of figuring out who you are and where you are categorized in the world and exploring different ways where a lot of times friend groups change. Yep. There's a lot of change that happens. So the reason that it feels so tumultuous and the reason that parents are like, oh my God, middle school is because there's such an enormous amount going on. And there's an enormous amount going on in your brain and in your body. There's a podcast called Ask Dr. Jessica. I've been on her podcast a few times. She's a pediatrician out in California. She did an episode with a physician named Karen Natterson, and it was on June 19th, the June 19th episode on puberty. I learned so much. It was really, really helpful. So if you've got kids sort of entering puberty, I highly recommend you listen to that episode. One of the things that Kara said, which I didn't know, is that when puberty starts, when adolescence starts, the first thing that happens is these hormones come flying in. And for girls, that starts at about eight or nine. For boys, it starts at about 10 or 11. And so those shifts start happening. And one of the first things that we see when we get those hormones in there are mood shifts and emotional shifts. By the time they're hitting middle school, which is oftentimes 11, 12, and then 13, all of that stuff is in full on raging hormones, like that expression, raging hormones. That's the age when it's happening. It's also the age when you start thinking more abstractly. So we see the cognitive shift going from concrete thinking to abstract thinking, which means that middle schoolers are thinking about big things. But I often say it's like you give them a Maserati, but they don't know how to drive yet. So they've got these raging hormones. They've got this brain that's going through all of these changes, and it's just a lot for them to manage. It really is that in-between place. One moment, they can be like a little kid playing and having fun, and then the next moment, they're having all of these big questions, all of these big feelings. It's a lot for them to manage, and it can be a lot for parents to manage as well. As a parent... When you have kids who are starting to show signs of big feelings, you always talk about front-loading conversations to help your kids and to help them name emotions and things. So how do you do that? Well, I am going to give you a list of things that I want us to pay attention to, and that's going to be one of them. So hold on a second, and I'll get to that in a minute. I want to go back to one of the things that you said, which I think is really, really important, because you said that middle school really is a time where you're working to fit in and you're trying to figure out who you are. I think that right now, especially that that's a really, really important thing for parents to recognize. Dan Siegel, who's written some wonderful books, he's really well known in the field, he talks about this time of life and the need for connection, particularly during adolescence. And remember, middle school is, is the real start of this, like when we light the fuse, is that the need to connect, the need to fit in, the need to know where you belong and to get acceptance from your group he said, literally, that determined whether or not you lived or died back in tribal days. This need for kids to fit in, to figure out who they are, to seek acceptance, to feel connected 
is so important that we really have to pay attention to that's what they're going through and that's what they're trying to do. And that's what feels so chaotic about that time, I think. Like you said, friendships change and there are all sorts of friendship abruptions and groups and all that kind of stuff. It is absolutely something that they're trying to do and they're not so great at it, but it's critical that we understand that and that we accept that. When you go to a parent-teacher conference, especially even from like the youngest ages where they want to show you really specific information about their academic learning. We always say, that's really great, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. We always ask the question, how does our child seem within the classroom? Does our specific child feel connected with other classmates? Does our child experience any exclusion from other classmates? How grounded do you think our kids are within their class peer groups? That's the information that we always ask for because that's truly the only information that mattered to us. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think it's so important for parents to be able to hear that and to know what's going on with their kids. When we're talking about middle school, whether or not you are connected whether or not you feel a sense of belonging. We talked about this in an episode a long time ago when we were talking about adverse childhood experiences versus positive childhood experiences. And one of the things the research identified was having a sense of belonging in high school was critical to later emotional functioning. It starts in middle school. And so really paying attention to that and really helping your kids develop those skills as early as possible. And if they are not feeling connected in school, Figuring out what do you have to do as a parent? How can you help to increase the likelihood that they are going to find their people? And they may not be their permanent people, but they have to have a sense of belonging and connection. It really is just the floor on which they build their social and emotional health for sure. Well, we did an episode, I feel like it was at the beginning of the summer or even in May, where we talked about that. How do you, if you have a child who needs skill building in order to create more connection because they're not really getting it from their peer group. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the most important things as a parent we could do, right? Yeah, absolutely. The thing about middle schoolers that I notice when I'm working with middle schoolers and being around them is that because they're in that in-between place, when they are with their peers... That's the time when you're watching them with their peers. That's the time when you're, then it's the most cringy. You know, you're like, oh my God, right? That's where there's the awkwardness and all that behavior that we associate with middle school. But if you watch a middle schooler with a little kid or oftentimes a middle schooler with an adult, they do so well. I mean, that's why middle schoolers are such good babysitters. And you can really have wonderful conversations with middle schoolers when you allow them to talk about things and hear what they're interested in. And so also pay attention to the connection that they feel both with people that are younger than they are and people that are older than they are. Because sometimes the trickiest place for them, the hardest place for them to navigate and feel okay is with their peer group. So we want to give them that positive stuff in other areas as well. Yeah. Sometimes there are kids where they have certain types of personality traits that are very adult-like, especially maybe if they're an only child or something, where it just takes time where the peer group catches up to them, for example. Yeah. Being in middle school means that you're kind of on a whipsaw of emotions anyway, right? Because you're socially figuring things out. You're trying on identities. You're getting all these hormones. You're experiencing new things. It's going to be all over the place in the context of your social 
encounters. You know, if you have a middle schooler that's babysitting or being a mother's helper or whatever, doing pet sitting, there's again that place where they experience autonomy, they experience independence, they experience their strengths. If you have the opportunity for your middle schooler to spend time with somebody, cousin or an aunt or something like that, it really allows them to develop some sense of their confidence and who they are when they're not so overwhelmed or so self-conscious as they often are when they're with their peers. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm excited to hear your list. All right. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance. So literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. You know when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you? Well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique, it's personal, and it lasts forever. I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether you're song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. 
Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn. And now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic. And that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good. And Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, we're back. All right, are you ready for the list? I am. Okay. The first thing is that because they are developing abstract thinking and they're paying attention to things, it's really important to let them talk about big issues. And for you not to get overwhelmed or freaked out by that, they are going to want to talk about things like life and death and justice and fairness and struggles with peers. They're going to start discovering things like sex and talking more about depression or suicide. The middle school counselors that I know that I talked to for an article that I just wrote said that that they're really interested in talking about those things. And it's a great jumping off point for them to begin to also talk about themselves and their own emotional lives and their own well-being. Be prepared for them to venture into big topics and don't get overwhelmed and don't get intimidated and actually, as usual, do more listening than talking. So when a middle schooler is going through their day and talking about the things that you're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear about lunch again, listen, 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 and really resist offering advice. 
all that talking that they're doing, if you're lucky enough to have somebody that talks to you, because that's a good thing, all that talking that they're doing, they're working through things, they're figuring things out, they're processing things, they're using their brain in a different way. So be prepared to go into those big topics to venture in. And it's okay. I love the big topics. I know you do. Yeah. Well, and they're kind of, you know, when you hear them talk about the big topics, it's kind of cool if you listen, right? So we have to listen. Yeah. And it's really fun in the middle school years to hear their understanding really shift of things too. I mean, high schoolers can be very sophisticated thinkers about the world and they have to practice and be introduced to certain concepts at this age. Yeah. All right. So the other thing, for those of you who listen, none of this stuff will surprise you. It won't be like, oh, I've never heard Lynn say that before. But when you're dealing with these big whipsawing emotions, when they are all over the place, it is really important that they hear from you that feelings are temporary, that their interests or that their friendships or that the things that are really bumming them out, we want to introduce to them the language that how you feel today is not how you feel tomorrow because those emotions sometimes feel bigger than they've ever felt to kids before and they can be really scary and intimidating and overwhelming. So we want to make sure that they know and that parents you know too, they're not going to be happy all the time. Mental health is not being happy all the time. It's being able to manage a wide range of emotions. So widen your range of what you can tolerate in your kids and also allow them to have those emotions and just give that message that it is temporary, not permanent because they get scared. They get overwhelmed by the way that they're feeling. They don't know why they're feeling that way. It's totally normal. Make room for it for sure. Do you think that there's a particularly specific developmental time in middle school where global thinking can take root? Or do you think that for global thinkers, that starts even earlier? And we have an episode on this, but global thinking, why don't you give a little background? So global thinking is that all or nothing thinking, and it tends to be pervasively negative in the way we talk about it in our field. When people are globally positive, they don't really show up very often at my door. But global thinking is a very consistent risk factor for both anxiety and depression. And it tends to be when somebody goes big, right? So nothing ever goes my way. This always happens to me. I'll never figure this out. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me, right. And I think that maybe what you can see, certainly there are some kids that even as little kids tend to be on the negative. So they tend to be the Eeyores, right? Like nothing goes my way. But what can happen as you begin to think bigger thoughts, as you begin to think more critically, as you begin to sort of open your eyes and look at the world in a bigger way, is that particularly now, I think kids can feel really hopeless and helpless about what's going on. So they think, what's the point, right? Like why bother? If the world's on fire, why should we even bother to do anything? And so I think that there is some greater risk as kids begin to think more abstractly. Thinking in a global way in terms of the world can bring on negative global thinking in terms of your ability to break things down into parts and to be able to manage. My solution to that or the skill that I try and teach people with that is to allow yourself the opportunity to switch from the macro to the micro. 
And I know it sounds cliched sometimes and it sounds trite, but doing things and helping kids appreciate the small moments that are joyful moments or silly moments or beautiful moments. You know, I went on a hike yesterday. I went up my favorite mountain and I just really noticed a lot of the beauty around me. I noticed that I was out in my favorite place. I just fully, fully enjoyed my day. It's like the best day I've had in a really long time. I wasn't thinking about all the crap that's happening in the world. I was just in the moment, and that was really, really helpful. That's like Ted Lasso, be a goldfish, because a goldfish can't be anything but be in the moment. Yeah, and and giving kids that opportunity to do that. As their horizons are expanding or their awareness or their thinking, it is easy to get overwhelmed. We want to pay attention to that global thinking. You have an episode where you talk about how to talk to your kids who have that pattern of global thinking that I would recommend to people because it's also about moving away from rigid thinking. And as I'm just speculating, but this is such a time where they're looking out in the world and categorizing themselves, others, etc. It's so critical to categorize flexibly and not rigidly. That's right. I mean, flexibility is always going to be helpful. They're just trying to figure out how the world works. You know, you think about it, it's a pretty big combination to have your brain and body changing in a way that is pretty dramatic at the very same time that you're entering into middle school. So you're going from class to class, you're dealing with lockers, you're dealing with all of these different things. It just is a big, big time for kids. All right. You want the next thing on the list? Yes. Okay. So this goes back to what you referred to earlier in terms of emotional management. This is a time, I mean, I hope that you don't start teaching emotional management when they hit puberty because <laughs> that's shoveling during the blizzard, everybody. So you want to try and do it preventatively. But a really important thing for you during this time is for you to model your own emotional management. So do not jump on the middle school train with them. Don't you regress back into that place. It is so important for you to be as steady as possible, as consistent as possible. I think it's really, really helpful for you to model apologizing when you screw up so that kids are seeing you handle what's going on in their lives in a pretty consistent way. This is a time because they are so provocative, because they can slam doors, because they can start to shut you out, because they're all over the place. This is a time where parents start to panic a little bit and they tend to punish. They tend to take things away. I was just listening and I've heard this before of the punishment of taking the door off your child's bedroom in middle school or high school as a punishment so they don't have privacy. All of those things are just not helpful at all. And it really is like, I need you to up your emotional management game and to be able to ride the waves of their emotions rather than you getting in there and being reactive. Your emotional reactivity is absolutely going to be harmful for your family during this period of time. The expression you used to say, we haven't said it in a long time, like since season one, just be vanilla ice cream. Yep. And the reason I say vanilla ice cream is because, well, vanilla ice cream is the most popular ice cream flavor. It goes with everything. It's very adaptable. It doesn't have any bells and whistles. It's neutral. It's neutral and steady. If you're having apple pie and you bring out vanilla ice cream, nobody goes, what? If you have apple pie and you bring out like moose crunch, then everybody goes, why are you doing that? So steady, consistent, 
dependable. That's what I need you to be, neutral. The other thing is that you really have to recognize, and I won't belabor this because I talked about it a lot already, but you really have to recognize the power of social groups and social connections during this time. And so it may be hard for you to tolerate that they want to go over to this house or this or whatever. So you may have a kid that you're worried about is not socially connected. Pay attention to that as we already talked about. But if you have a child who's really prioritizing peer connection, this is not the time for you to feel left out. This is not the time for you to get your feelings hurt because they don't want to spend time with you. This is not the time for you to get upset because the only thing they're using you for is for transportation back and forth between their social groups. This is their priority and it's okay. And actually, during those times of transportation back and forth to your kids' parties and your kids' groups, that's a time when you can have some really nice conversations with kids. The car yeah. ride conversations are mm -hmm. the best. They're the best, yeah, because they don't have to make eye contact. So just don't take that personally. The promotion of peers above you is really a natural and normal thing to happen at this period of time. And so don't take that personally. Allow that, foster that, make sure that you're helping them make decisions. They're going to have bad relationships. They're going to have kids that they're with that hurt their feelings, or they're going to get rejected, or maybe they're going to be the ones that get caught up in doing the rejecting. It's very hard for kids in middle school to stand up to their peers, but recognize that this is a messy place for them to be, but it is a critical period of learning for them. So they're not going to do it very well. Some kids do it better than others, but it's going to be messy. One of the things I have observed as a parent of middle school is that because the friend groups change, I feel like I've had conversations with my kids to help them through that so that it could be done kindly, but effectively. Don't think that that is happening in a lot of households because I think that it can be done with a lot of extra negative emotions that aren't necessary. If you are noticing your kids wanting to switch groups, there's a way to just to say to them, this is going to be a tricky thing, but it is okay to tell the old group, you feel like you need to move over to a different group and just leave it at that rather than be mean or be angry or not have the vocabulary that you are doing it. I mean, I know it's a lot to ask, but it does make, especially with girls, it can make those situations so much easier. Yeah. We want to normalize all the shifting that's taking place here. I really want to do this episode because I really wanted to normalize a lot of this because what I am seeing and hearing a lot is parents being really afraid of what's going on with their kids all of the language that we have right now about the mental health crisis and kids being depressed and kids getting anxious. And I just want to normalize this rather than have parents be so afraid of this. You don't have to be so afraid of your kids' emotions during this time. There are things you want to pay attention to for sure, but you know that they're going to have rocky relationships. There's going to be changes it's really okay. Another thing on the list that I think is really helpful is that we want to start introducing the idea of our kids being critical thinkers during this, which sort of relates to what you're talking about in terms of making decisions about friend groups and things, Robin. Who is good for you and who isn't good for you? What's good for you and what's not good for you? How do you step back and sort of look at things with a critical eye? Part of that also is helping kids recognize their strengths 
helping them recognize what they're good at, and also helping them recognize the things that they need to work on. And there's a lot of grist for the mill during this middle school time because, as I said, they're going through a lot of changes. So giving kids the opportunity or you taking the opportunity to really let them know what you're proud of that they're doing and recognizing oh, I saw the way that you handled that situation or you're in the unified basketball program and I saw how kind you were to the child that needed you or I'm so appreciative of how helpful you are when I ask you or boy, your sense of humor is something that really helps in this family and we just love having that and having you around, right? You don't have to lay it on thick every day. It's not like you have to do that, but look for opportunities to talk to your kids about their strengths and what you appreciate about them as human beings because they feel like they're on shaky ground. They're not quite sure who they are. So make sure you say that out loud to them. Yeah, just drop it in there in a way. I mean, they will eat it up. They will soak it up. It feels good. And you've mentioned before, if if you have to write it in a note, then do that too. Yep. It's just good for them to hear this because they're feeling unsteady during this time. There's a lot going on and their bodies are changing and their friendships are changing. And it just is really helpful for you to point out the things that, that are not so much visible on the surface, but the things that you really know about them and you value about them. It's really helpful. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So now back to the show. Okay. So this is the last thing on my list, but it's kind of a big one. It's kind of a meaty one because I see this happening more and more and more. Middle school does not have to be pre-high school. We don't want middle school to sort of get subsumed by high school because what I'm hearing a lot from kids is, 
now I really have to do well in sixth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade because that's going to determine whether or not I get into the higher class in ninth grade. We've moved it down a few years. They just need time to be messy and to figure things out without thinking so much about the future and future plans. It's the whole achievement culture thing that happens. That happens at our kids' school. And I think it's kind of gross, but I also don't really know the alternatives because if you have kids who, for example, like at our school, you have to make the decision. But if you don't do it in seventh grade, like you can't do it later in high school. Yeah. So that's just dumb. There's a book called Nurture Shock, which I haven't referenced in a long time. It was written many years ago now, but it was very interesting. And one of the things they talked about was that in New York City, they used to do IQ testing in kindergarten, and then they would use those IQ scores to determine what path a child would be on throughout their educational career. And what the research showed is that IQ is not set in stone. And so to get an IQ from somebody at the age of five or six and have that determine where they're going to be when they're 14 just was not really helpful. It's been going on for a long time, but when I went into eighth grade and I changed schools, there was a teacher there who was my Spanish teacher, although he was French. And he said to my mom, and I won't say it in his French accent because it'll sound stupid, but he said to my mom, let her dip her toe in every pool. I remember him saying that, and it was just such good advice. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do. Probably knew what some of my strengths were, but I certainly didn't know what all of my strengths were. Everything from what classes I was going to take to what sports I was going to play. It just is a time of letting your kids figure out who they are. Not only academically have we started doing this thing where we have to have achievements set by the time they enter high school, but we're also doing it with activities. So we're starting to specialize more and more. So we've got kids playing one sport, like my child is going to do hockey all year round, or they're going to do violin all year round. Rather than letting kids play, for one, the research is very clear about letting them play, and middle schoolers still should have the opportunity to play. But getting out of this idea that middle school is the time to set the rest of your life in stone, to get your academic path sorted out, it's too early, and it's not good for them developmentally. They're not ready yet to do that. It's the adults that feel the pressure to do that. And it's just not helpful for their social and emotional growth. So don't make middle school, pre-high school, pre-college, pre-career, because that's what it's kind of turning into in a lot of ways. I hear what you're saying, but for us as a family, we just went through that. And we had to make a decision, do we do the path that then gives you more options later or do we not? What I ended up saying was like, try it. You can always, if this is a path, you can always exit. <laughs> you know, you don't have to stay on it. Just try it. Well, so there's a good example. So you're saying like, look, the way it's set up is that they do have to do these things ahead of time. We do have to do this, right? And you're saying like, uh, so your language about it, you're saying, okay, so we're in this system in which they're making us make a decision about what math track you're going to be on. And you're saying to your son, try it, right? This is not the be all end all. This is the way it's set up. So your attitude about it, where you could imagine that somebody is saying, another parent might be saying, okay, so we have to get you a math tutor this summer to make sure that by the time you're in seventh grade, we know that blah, 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 right? So we have to start preparing and putting you through your paces. You're in a system, which doesn't surprise me, that says, we're going to get your kids on these tracks. 
and you're saying to your son, this is the way the system works, but we're not going to buy into the rigidity of this system. When I go global and when I have those days when I'm like, what the heck am I doing? That's what I come up against is that so much of the systems that we have in place are actually contrary to what I know is good for kids' emotional health. You have to pull it back and find those opportunities to inject flexibility or to talk to your kids about it in a way that doesn't add to the rigidity and the the pressure and the achievement that's just finding its way down earlier and earlier and earlier. The toxic achievement culture episode, I think, is a must. I think that was such a game changer episode for me. And you gave some really great advice and some insight into how that's so ingrained in a lot of parents and a lot of communities. Do you think there is something helpful to be said as a balm for that rigidity of the toxic achievement culture, especially in middle school, to start practicing language that doesn't take it too seriously? in that way that is helpful to your kids, giving them room to try things out. And maybe in elementary school that hasn't really come up yet. Yeah. But especially for the parents who are wound up pretty tight about their kids' achievement, wouldn't you say introducing flexibility about these things is now, if you haven't started now, start now in middle school? Yeah. Start now. What your kids want from you is they want to know that you love them. They want to know that you accept them. They want to know that you support them. And then you're going to guide them. And it's going to be a bumpy path. Right before we started recording, we were talking about college because that's where Robin is in her thinking. And my both boys have graduated from college. And I said to Robin, which I will say to all of you, nothing about my children's college experiences went the way I thought. The things that I thought were great and were going to go easy did not. The things that I was concerned about ended up not really being concerns. There was a pandemic right in the middle of both of my children's college experiences, which was pretty interesting. So the more that we can just recognize life takes a lot of twists and turns, and if you can focus on the emotional skills and the social skills, the connection that you create in your family and helping your kids connect with their peers during the middle school years, all of that, so, so, so valuable. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for these kids to have room to discover things about themselves and to feel like they've got steady adults right there next to them. Your emotional reactivity, parents, is really what you want to pay attention to. One final thing too, because I was writing this article and you you know, I always say whenever I'm writing an article, I learn a lot. And I was talking to school counselors and parents and things about this article. The article was about self-diagnosis. One of the things the middle school counselors that I talked to said that with the self-diagnosis stuff, right, they're looking for labels and they want to diagnose themselves with this and with that. And they're looking on social media. And I was really concerned about that. The middle school counselors that I talked to said, oh no, it's a good starting off point. Like they come in and they've learned something on social media about OCD or autism or something. And they come in and they say, I have this thing. And they said, then we can talk about what's going on. And they said that diagnosis really does feel kind of temporary. And it really is a way for them to come in and bring up 
some of the things that they're struggling with. So they sort of talked me down a little bit off that. They say, oh yeah, they come in with that stuff, but it really is a way for us to have uh, good conversations. So I talked to a bunch of middle school counselors when I was writing this article. I talked to a bunch of people, but anyway, they also said across the board, I heard from a lot of school counselors in elementary school and middle school that they have really been impressed with how much parents have increased their ability to talk about difficult things with their kids. Because a lot of the counselors I've talked to aren't new to the job. And they said they've really been impressed by parents upping their game and diving into these things that feel really difficult to talk to. So kudos to you, parents. It's a positive impact that has come from what we're calling the mental health crisis post-pandemic. Correct. That there's a lot more conversation about it, which is great. You know what I want to go do now, because I'm just thinking about my middle school years, the show that just captures my middle school years because of the chronology is Stranger Things. Oh. So those were my middle school years, early to mid 80s years, the music, everything, the ridiculous clothing, large plastic earrings of solid colors. Why did I have large white circles, white diamonds and white squares to wear as earrings. Because you were totally hip. You were hip little Robin. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I was wearing those, but you can imagine the difference between you and me. I never wore a bow in my hair and I know you did. Not in middle school. You didn't wear bows in your hair in middle school, did you? There was a period where everyone had bow barrettes. Oh, okay. I did have some bows in middle school. Okay. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.